So, Lord, as we come to your word once again this morning, Lord, as we open up this book, would you open up our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds to all that you have to say to us. Amen. I'm going to read to you from Matthew's Gospel and chapter 16, 13, chapter 13, nope, chapter 16, verse 13, going through to 20. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, well, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Amen. So it's a privilege for me this morning to have an opportunity to have a chat with you. And I wanted to talk about uh, this little gathering that took place in Caesar, Caesarea Philippi, which... My understanding is it's a really quite beautiful region, full of history too. And it's about 25 miles-ish north of Galilee, uh, where Jesus and his friends had just come from. We don't know how long they stayed up there. Maybe it was a couple of nights, maybe it was a week or two. Possibly was. <clears throat> and they've been together... For about two and a half years at this point, Jesus and his disciples, there are about six months for Jesus to go to the cross. And he wants to have this time, clearly, where they can be alone, together. And I imagine by now that there were actually loads of disciples that had gathered to Jesus along the way, men and women, but you get the sense, don't you, although it's not actually said here, that Jesus is just with the 12 on this occasion. And they must have needed these times uh, when they were just alone with Jesus and with one another because the pace must have been relentless for them. And this place where they're going to is, is so far north, even though it's only 25 miles, it's that much further north. They're, they're running out of villages and people who are clamoring to have a look at, at Jesus. This is predominantly now at their Gentile territory. And it looks like they're having a bit of a home group study, I thought I'd say, because they're just together, <clears throat> and whereas they normally meet in the big crowd, lots of people, just occasionally get, they get these times, don't they? Tucked away. <clears throat> and Jesus, in... in 
typical small group, home group fashion, <clears throat> he starts with an icebreaker. You know what an icebreaker is. It's the thing that loosens your tongue, gets everybody chatting. <clears throat> so he says to them, who do people say the Son of Man is? It's a good icebreaker. That will get their tongues loosed and a discussion will ensue. A couple of cha chapters ago, um, Jesus had overseen the feeding of 5,000 and more. We know it was much more than that. He's already raised people from the dead. He's healed many. He's preached that amazing Sermon on the Mount. Everybody is talking about Jesus. Everybody's got an opinion. <clears throat> so to ask the question, what are people saying, is fair enough. And it will get them going. And to ask them, in this region up there, in Caesarea Philippi, is significant. Because archaeologists have found that in that area where it's thought that Jesus <clears throat> took them to, they found 14 ruins of temples to Baal, <clears throat> excuse my throat, <clears> throat> uh, a temple to the Greek god Pan, and a temple to Emperor Caesar Augustus. So it's very much a, a, a pagan stronghold. And Jesus <clears throat> asked them this question. Who people say that I am? He knew the answer. Of course he knew. <clears throat> he knew the answer. He just wanted the disciples to op open up, loosen their tongues, and they did. All of them, I imagine, <clears throat> all of them, I imagine, would have chipped in. And we can see that in verse 14. Well, <clears throat> some say that you're Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. Others, Jeremiah, one or the other prophets. It clearly wasn't any of those, obviously, but, but there were other things also being said about Jesus. There were other opinions. Of course there were. Loads of other opinions. There's this from Mark chapter 3, where it says, then Jesus went home, and once again a crowd had gathered. He and his disciples couldn't even eat. And when his family heard about this, they went out to take custody of him, saying he's out of his mind. That's his family. We don't often think or talk about Jesus' family, do we? They thought he was out of his mind. And the scribes who'd come down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. And they said that by the prince of demons he drives out demons. And in John chapter 10, for instance, there are loads of comments like this. The Jews who'd heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed, he's raving mad. Why listen to him? He's a diamond geezer. That's an answer to prayer. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. <clears throat> what do people think about Jesus? What do the people who live next door to you think about Jesus? What are they saying? What do your family think about Jesus? 
your good friends that don't come here. What do they actually believe? Do you know? I wonder if you know. I wonder if you ask. What do the people who live almost next door to the church think about Jesus? He doesn't ask too much of us, does he, Jesus? Not really. He asks us to love one another and to go into the world and make disciples, to be his witnesses. That's what he requires of us, really. I'm no better at this than you when it comes to talking to my neighbours and my friends. But we really ought to try, didn't we, to find out what people are saying, what they think about Jesus, especially those close to us, especially our children, our grandchildren. It's what we're called to do. You know that. We all know that. And it's something that the church does really well. Week after week here, we hear all about Jesus, but, it, but the church is not where we live. It's not where we work. It's not out there with those people who are our friends and our family. So what about you? And what about me? Anyway, <clears throat> again, in true small group style, he's moved on now. The icebreaker's done. What are people saying? That got a lot of chat. And then it gets a little bit more serious and you get into the study. We've only got one more question, really, but in a home group study, there might be another five or six. But here's the one that Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? <clears throat> Who do you say that I am? And again, <clears throat> Jesus knows the answer. We all know the right answer, who Jesus is. But this is personal. Jesus wanted each of them to really consider and say what they really believed about him, who they really believed that he, he was. <clears throat> and it's, it is personal. We have to remember, don't we, that our salvation is personal. It doesn't matter what the person next to us thinks this morning. It doesn't matter what we kind of all think. Our salvation, our saving, our rescue is very much a personal affair. When we stand before God, we often say it, don't we? We stand there alone. <clears throat> sort of reminds me a bit of them. I've never been to the Louvre in, in Paris, but my granddaughter has. And <clears throat> she told us about the Mona Lisa. And you may have seen, you may have been there. But you can go in, there's a crowd of people looking at the Mona Lisa. You come in from one side, right out the way, and, and the Mona Lisa's eyes are looking at you, even though you're over there. And as you walk round and you walk behind all the people who are looking and you go over there, she's still looking at you. Her eyes are still on you. I don't know if you've seen that experience there. It's quite strange. And Jesus this morning, even though there are loads of us here, he is looking at you, personally. Who do you say that I am? And I imagine with Jesus' disciples at this point, things are going a little bit quiet now. And they're not, they've calmed down because they've had the icebreaker. And now he's asked this question. <clears throat> and when there's a slightly more difficult question, it takes time to respond. And actually, even if you know the answer, and you're convinced that it's definitely the right one. Sometimes you hold back, don't you? Because really, what if you're wrong? 
could be a bit embarrassing. <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> the disciples are thinking about what, what they might say in response. And I imagine that they've got their eyes to the floor or they're just looking at their nails because they, they don't want the eye contact with Jesus because otherwise he might say, well, James, what do you, who do you say that I am? John, who do you say that I am? So they keep themselves to themselves and they're hoping against hope that Peter, who often speaks before he thinks, will say something first, which he does. In verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Christ, you are the son of the living God. So the others all breathe a sigh of relief because that's got it going. They've, he said that and that is very much what uh, they were thinking, I'm sure, and Peter has put it into words for them. And then, what follows on from that has caused a lot of people down through the centuries to question what did Jesus mean when he apparently promoted Peter to be his new number one in founding the church worldwide. Because Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, which actually up until, that, although we always call him Peter, that wasn't his name. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So, I'm sure you know this is teaching you to suck eggs, but the Greek for rock is Petra, Peter. So Jesus is saying, you're rocky. That's who you are. You're now, you're now rocky. So from that moment on, <clears throat> Simon, son of Jonah, is either Peter or he's Simon Peter. So what did Jesus mean when he said, on this rock, I will build my church. And something else there, just of passing interest, we've reached page 983 in my Bible, and here is, here is church being mentioned for the first time by Jesus. I will build my church. There's the word, church. I fairly certainly hasn't been uh, in existence uh, in, in, in any of the earlier pages. That's, that's it. So, is Jesus saying Peter is the rock? Peter is the rock. He is the foundation of the church. The Catholic Church, I think, do hold this, this view. <clears throat> they say that Peter was Jesus' preferred option to start the church, that he was the first bishop of Rome, the first pope. He was God's representative here on earth. The spokesman and every pope afterwards um, has been exactly that. The rock was Peter. I may have got that wrong or oversimplified, and if there are Catholics here, I'm sorry if that, that's the case, but I think that's what Catholics believe. And of course, they've got St. Peter's in Rome as their, their headquarters. Incidentally, Peter never makes any claim about being the leader of the Christian community in, in Scripture, does he? But the other big theory, the obvious one, he said Peter's the rock. The other big theory is that Jesus himself is saying that he's the rock. It's as if he's pointing to Peter or putting his arm around Peter and saying, you are, you are, you are Peter, you are a rock, and it's on this, and then pointing to himself, it's on this rock 
then I will build my church. And I don't think that's right for what it's worth. It sounds a bit clumsy and I could be wrong, but I think that's a non-starter because there's another viewpoint and I think this is, this is the one. I think that Jesus is referring not just to Peter, but to what he just said. His statement of faith, if you like. So Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And it's what he's just said that causes Jesus to say, you are the rock. So for instance, this morning, if you are sincerely from your heart in response to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? If you are able to say, you saved me. You, you died for me on the cross. I have forgiveness. I've got eternal life because, because of you. Then Jesus, it's my view that Jesus would be saying to you, then you are a rock. And it's on you and people like you that I will build my church. It was Peter and his response from his heart that prompted Jesus to say, you are a rock. And on this rock, I'll be of my church. He was one of the foundation stones. But he wasn't the foundation stone. He wouldn't be the only one. I imagine, in any case, the other disciples, once Peter started that ongoing conversation, they would have all chipped in. They would have all been telling Jesus what they thought. They would have all been foundation stones. They would have all been saying much the same. So if you're a Christian this morning, you are a rock on which the church is being built. You are special. You are valued, just as Peter was valued. Just the same. You may scoff at that, being compared to Peter, but he was flawed, just like you and I are flawed. He was the one that he nearly drowned, didn't he, because of his lack of faith when he needed it. He was one that fell asleep just when Jesus needed him to be wide awake. Hours later, he would deny that he even knew Jesus to save his own skin. And a few verses on from what we just read, um, we didn't read it, but it was Peter who took Jesus to one side and rebuked him. That's the right way round. Peter took Jesus to one side and rebuked him, somewhere around 22 or 23. And he got another new name, only four or five verses on from being now called Rock. He's called Satan. He's called, Jesus called Peter a stumbling block. He's gone from rock to stumbling block in five verses. But the thing about Peter, bless him, he had a faith. He had a strong faith in Jesus that meant that he could be used in the creation and the building up of this new church same as you and me exactly the same as you and me and I'll give you another quick Greek lesson and then we'll bring this to a close the Greek for rock is Petra I already said that it means big rock massive rock God in scripture is referred to as this big rock rock of ages Jesus cornerstone we were just singing that cornerstone, capstone, the, the, the main stone or rock or part of the building up of the church. But the Greek for stone, 
small, something you can hold in your hand, little boulder, tiny thing, something that could be used along with other stones, maybe to make a dry stone wall, for instance. That was Petros. Petros, not Petra, Petros. And that is the word in scripture that is used to describe Peter. Not big rock, little rock. Not that huge, immovable rock. That is God, that is Jesus. But Petros, small rock, stone. Among millions of others. Peter, the other disciples, you, me, we are all Petros. Down through the ages, we have been building the church. And we're not like these Petros. We can't see them because we're inside, but we all know what the church looks from the outside. They're identical, all of these stones. You could take a brick from there and stick it over there. It'll do the job. It's the same thing. But that's not us. We're, we are unique. Thankfully, each of us is different. Different in shape and size and background and experience. And some of us are having a mountaintop experience. Some of us are in the depths of despair. All of us are gifted and needed by Jesus for the building up of his church. Because it's just like a jigsaw. This is just like a jigsaw. Each one of us is a special piece. And there is a place in the life of the church that only you and what makes you unique can fill. Do you know that? Peter wrote in his first letter, a bit later on in the Bible, 1 Peter 2, he said that you also, like living stones, are being built into the spiritual house. You and me are like living stones being built into the spiritual house. I think this church is about 100 years old. Something like that, isn't it? 95, 100 years old. 100 years ago, here, there was another generation of people, Christians, servants, building up this church and, and serving a community that was around them. None of them are here now. Well, one, one or two of you, maybe. <laughs> Not so much. But, but not here now, long gone. In a hundred years' time, there'll be another bunch of people, because we won't be here. In a hundred years' time, there'll be a group of Christians, God willing, serving this community together. All these little living stones serving another community that comes along then. We are here now, us, in this generation looking after this people. We are today's servants, building up this church now. We are called by God, loved by him, and called to do a work in this place for this generation. That's, that's where we are. How are you doing this morning? How do you see yourself fitting into that picture? Who do you say that Jesus is? remembering that it's not the right answer, it's not the, the whole answer. It's, it's not just turning up and singing the great songs or loving the great songs. It's not just about muttering the amens at the end of the prayers and loving all these special people. 
Who do you honestly say that Jesus is? Did you ask him into your life? Did you ask Jesus to come into your life? It is never too late while you're breathing to ask Jesus into your life. You don't have to tell anybody else that you do that. You just quietly ask Jesus to come. You may have been working and serving in this church for years, but you never actually got around to taking that extra step. And he knows. He knows where you are. He knows the answer. Who do you say that he is? You are a part of this family, this team, this crew that we all belong to. You want to get involved more? Because you certainly can. You are unique and God has you here for a purpose. You're a living stone and you are loved and you're needed. Let me pray with you now. So loving God as we already have today, I just want to thank you once again for this church, which is not the bricks and mortar, but it's the staff that work in this place day by day. And it's the preachers and the singers and the musicians, Lord. It's the technicians and it's the flower arrangers. It's those who pray and those who encourage. It's, it's those who work with, with the children. Lord, it's all of us who could once have been seen as a pile of rubble, but now we are living stones building up this church. We are the foundation of this church with you, Lord, as the capstone, the cornerstone. We thank you for this church and for all it means to us. We thank you for all that you mean to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Should we just stand to sing our last uh, hymn of the day?